Welcome to Less Than or Equal, the podcast about pursuing equality and geekdom. I'm your host, Aline Sims, and today I am joined by Karanda Adair. Karanda, welcome. Thank you. Um, who are you? Who am I? Oh, you started with the easy ones. <laughs> um, who am I? I am uh, a woman living in Portland, Oregon. I'm originally from Portland and raised here. Um, I'm a web developer and a WordPress consultant. I'm, um, what else? I'm a black lesbian woman. I'm married to a wonderful wife named Jessica. Um, we have two cats, of course. Um, what else? I don't know, general, general nerd. Um, I'm into a lot of nerdy things, although uh, not as many as others. Um, I don't know. Oh, and uh, I, I like to bike a lot. That's a, that's a big part of my identity. Um, mostly commuting these days. So you're also involved in kind of diversity um, talks um, and just kind of... General rabble-rousing. Yeah. <laughs> promoting, promoting and talking about equality for um, a lot of different people. Uh, true. <laughs> so, yeah, I've been in the tech industry for about five years. Um, I came to it pretty late as these things go. Um, and I sort of halfway through school really paused to think about the fact that I'm going into a very white male dominated industry and what was that going to look like? Um, and you know, in school it was fine. It was actually a lot more gender parity in school. Um, and then a person you get out of school, it's a lot less. And so what that looked like for me is that I worked in an agency for a while and then um, was let go and literally uh, culture fit was cited as one of the reasons. So um, so that let me know that, you know, maybe working for people and companies wasn't going to be the way that I could stay in the industry long term. Uh, and 50% of women actually do leave the industry. So um, I worked hard to get into it. I wanted to stay for a while. And so I started my own business and, um, and just having that control over my schedule gave me the time to also pay more attention to what was going on and to start doing more writing, which I've always loved to do. And so I just naturally started writing about the things that pissed me off about the tech industry. Um, which that is that it's not very diverse and it's not very welcoming to people who aren't straight, white, cis, head guys. So how did you, let's back up to like five years ago when you decided to start learning development, you, you do web development and um, primarily, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so why did you decide to, that it was interesting? What interested you about joining this sphere? Um, well, I've always been sort of the person who helps everyone else in my family with their computers. Um, I'm not one of those people who, well, I guess I did write a little DOS in middle school, but you know, I had, I had somewhat limited access to computers until high school. Uh, and then I had a Mac for four years that was part of a school program that I was in. So, um, I got online around 1998 and started getting into IRC and chat rooms and really everything that I learned about how to do 
you know, nerdier things than the average person came from, you know, asking people in those channels. And so I kind of had that bent and I was working in project management. Um, and I had, I was managing web developers and uh, managing web projects as part of what I did. And I had a meeting with one of the web developers who was someone who was freelancing that was on contract with us. And he came into the office and um, we had maybe a half hour meeting and then he left and I literally had sort of a light bulb moment where I was like, that guy's probably making three times what I'm making. And he gets to like waltz in and out of here and probably go back and work from home or a coffee shop or whatever. And that sort of freedom and lifestyle really appealed to me. So I got online and looked up, you know, web development programs at PCC, um, which is Portland Community College, and just sort of started looking into things from there. So um, what languages do you use primarily now? English. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, I mean... It's funny because I know what you're asking. You're asking about well played. Languages. No, no, that was perfect. It was perfect. <laughs> but, um, but honestly, since I um, since I became a business owner, um, it really is true that communicating is much more important than you know, and and way more frequent than actually writing code. Um, so, but um, primarily, I uh, use WordPress as my platform of choice, uh, which is based on PHP. Um, so then obviously you're dealing with CSS and JavaScript and sort of all the, the web-based languages. Um, so yeah, I'm much more um, interested in sort of getting at people's problems and figuring out how to solve them. I'm not one of those developers who's like, oh, I want to learn Node, so I'm going to you know find somebody who needs Node in their project. Like I'm, I'm really more interested in the, the human part of it and helping people. I noticed that you spoke at um, Madison Ruby uh-huh. conference a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, oh, yes, because I'm not a developer, but um, I actually have a pact with a friend that we're going to start le- learning Ruby in October. So I was like, awesome. yes, it's time. You know, <laughs> it was my uh-huh. sign. So can you talk a little bit about your current projects? Um, sure. Uh, first of all, just give a, a shout out to Madison Ruby because I'm, I'm not a Rubyist. I use just a little bit of Ruby um, for deployment things, but I, I would not in any way, shape, or form call myself a Rubyist. But uh, Madison Ruby was a conference that my friends have been raving about for several years. And so I submitted um, my empathy talk knowing that it was probably a venue that would be welcoming to that kind of topic. And because I just wanted to see this awesome conference, and I wanted to visit Ash Dryden, um, who lives in Madison. So, um, so that all worked out great, and it's it's actually probably the best tech conference that I've ever been to. Um, and it's really less about Ruby and more about how can people be better humans in the technology industry. I, I, if I had to theme sort of most of the talks that I heard, that was really what they were about. Well, and it was, there were a lot of women in the audience from what I understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, or not even in the audience, but in the audience and speaking. And I don't know what the racial diversity was like there, but I kind of, I kind of got some gleanings that it seemed pretty, 
diverse, just kind of in general? Yeah, they've been working really hard on their um, speaker diversity, and it really has shown, <clears throat> excuse me, um, it's really paid off for them. And if you, um, I think it's probably still up if you go to the madisonruby.org page and just look at the speaker lineup. Um, it's very racially diverse. And Madison is, you know, as white, if not whiter than Portland. So to do that uh, at a tech conference in that city is pretty impressive. And I, I hope that Portland will someday follow suit. <laughs> yeah, well, and I'm in Phoenix. So we do have, um, it depends upon where you go in the metro area. Like, but there is diversity here. But I don't know what it looks like in the tech scene. And I don't really know what kind of tech conferences we have here. I need to to figure that out, but I'm I'm really interested to see what that turns out to be. So, um current projects. I think I derailed your question. Oh no, it's fine. Um current projects, yes. So currently I'm actually um exactly halfway through co-facilitate co-facilitating something called the Ascend Project. And that is a six-week full-time um, mentoring program where we basically give people the time and the space and the resources to learn to contribute to open source projects. And um, it was created by Lucas Black, uh, who works for Mozilla. And she had been working on this for about a year. And um, with the full support of um, the now former head of HR at Mozilla, Debbie Cohen. And so she came to me a few months ago and said, hey, I'm doing this thing and we're going to have 20 participants. And um, I just realized that, you know, a one to 20 teacher ratio really isn't going to be the best <laughs> format. And do you want to do you want to come and do this? And, you know, it sounded amazing. Um, my main concern was that um, I've only been in business for not even two years yet. I started my business in January of 2013. And Throughout that entire time, I've been dealing with sort of one life roadblock after another. Um, so I had a lot of health problems in 2013. And then this year, uh, we sold our house, bought another house, moved, uh, had a cat die, had another mm -hmm. cat almost die. And like, there was just a lot going on that was taken away from you know, being able to build my business. And so I was like, Oh, do I know, do I want to leave this for another six weeks and go do this thing? And then, you know, after I thought about it, I said, well, of course I do <laughs> because it completely aligns with my values and it's a, a chance to really, um, you know, really change sort of who is welcome into, into the industry and give them like a formal, like, yes, we want you here and we're going to do everything that we can to, um, make sure that you have the tools that you need. And so um, part of the program is that um, people get breakfast and lunch every day. They get a stipend each day. They get uh, an 11 inch MacBook Air to use that they will keep uh, if they complete the program and childcare is provided. So oh, wow. that's just like the baseline of support um, that people get. And then there have been other things that have been added to that um, through uh, through our awesome logistics coordinator, he's gotten us uh, access to Safari Books and Rosetta Stone, and just you know any any resource that Mozilla has that they could make available to these participants, they have done. So it's been really great. That's amazing. It's interesting because um, I talked to a gentleman named um, Greg a couple of weeks ago, and he's a systems administrator in Chicago. And he does a lot of speaking on diversity. 
in kind of the hacker space. And I asked him how how he thought companies could go about getting more people in the door, more diverse people in the door. And he talked about exactly what you're saying. You you know, you bring people in, you help them out, you, you know, you, you feed them, you provide them with equipment, you, you know, because these people, the people he was talking about were like inner city, don't necessarily have computers, you know, and you just, you give them what they need and you set them up to succeed. And I'm really excited to hear that Mozilla is actually doing that. Yeah. And for, a lot cheaper per person than just like having a, an, a college intern. So, you know, there is a, there is a budget for this, but in terms of, you know, uh, in terms of expense, it's really, it's really on par with, with giving people internships or, or less. So that's a, you know, if even half these people go on to sort of get jobs in the industry or contribute to projects, like that's a great return on investment, um, you know, for Mozilla, which is after all business, but, but yeah, the support has been amazing and we're working out of their Portland office. And so I'm, I'm enjoying the perks of corporate life while I have them, <laughs> which is mostly snacks and rock band on giant, uh, screens. <laughs> oh, see, nice. Yeah, things you don't get as a as an independent. <laughs> and also, yeah, learning what's great about not going into an office every day too. Yeah, although this is not a representative experience. I mean, the first uh, we spent the first two days um, doing a Strengths Finder exercise, which is like an online uh, quiz you can take that will literally tell you uh, your strengths like your top five strengths. And so we had everyone do that and then talked about those results because, you know, confidence is part of it and imposter syndrome is part of it. And so, you know, like when I say support, I mean like emotional support, you know, coaching support, um, resume writing and interview skill, like across the board. So we spent the whole first day doing strengths finder things and talking about things like what agreements do we want about how we're going to be with each other in this space? What, what kinds of rules and guidelines do we want? And, you know, things like respecting people's pronouns and, um, you know, uh, not using ableist language and just all kinds of things. So you're never, ever, ever going to get that in a workplace. So in some ways, um, it is a nine to five, which as someone who keeps odd hours for the last two years, I was like, oh, how am I going to deal with this? Um, that part is easy and the days go by really quickly and the people are amazing and the environment is not like anything that I have ever experienced in any workplace before or after coming to tech. So um, in that way, it's it's very unique, but I hope that it won't be forever. So how how involved have you been in actually planning all of this? Or was it all planned and then they kind of brought you on board and said, you know, here's what we're thinking. What do you think? I'm interested to know, because logistically, it seems like you know, developing a class for, for 20 people is, my mom was a college teacher. So, you know, that can be kind of, um, kind of daunting to, to develop something from the ground up. And then you add into that, like the logistics of, you know, childcare and that type of thing. So I'm, I'm interested to know how, were you involved in that kind of planning at all? Uh, I was not. Um, I only peripherally knew that Lucas was working on this program. And so I, give her full props for uh, coming up with this entire structure. I mean, she really just said, 
you know, she's been doing some kind of one-off one day or one weekend um, events with like queer youth and, and different populations and said, well, I really want to do something, you know, more longer term. And really she just created it, you know, from scratch. And so, um, the curriculum, because everybody is different, everybody's coming in with different levels of experience. Um, there are things in the curriculum that are like, okay, these are some definite milestones that we want to hit. But now that we're halfway through, the, the end goal of the project is that everybody makes a, a technical contribution to an open source project. And so we're working at Mozilla. And so we're working with, you know, contributions to Mozilla products like Firefox, uh, WebMaker, and different things like that. So um, at this point, people are kind of at the end point of choosing like what bug am I going to work on or what contribution I'm going to make. And then the last three weeks are really going to be them teaching themselves, what do I need in order to make this happen? And so at this point for us, it's much more about guidance than about standing up and saying, this is how you do this. You know, for us, it's, it's getting to the point of cheerleading. And so uh, a lot of it is very on the fly um, because we want things to be tailored somewhat to where people are at. Um, but the first, the first half, you know, we did things like they all opened their computers. They all had to set up development environments. They had to learn about version control. They all um, are blogging at the Ascend website, which is ascendproject.org. Um, so you can go and see what they're writing about um, and how their journey is progressing. Uh, in order to do that, it's hosted on GitHub. So they had to learn how to uh, create a repo, pull down a repo, um, make changes, commit those changes, um, make pull requests. Uh, we had people who, you know, when we started had never used the Macintosh before, had never seen the terminal before, had never used version control. Um, and so by the end of that week, they were all making pull requests to the Ascend repository. So the progress has been pretty amazing. Well, and I love, so I have, um, I also have a background in early childhood education and, you know, kind of catering toward the learning style of, in my case, the child. But one thing that I have always hated, so I was a computer science major in college and I ended up, I ended up dropping out of the program because um, it was always the professor or instructor at the front of the room lecturing about, you know, this is how you do this thing. And I remember I was in a Java class and I just, I, I couldn't get it. And I'm a fairly smart person, but I just could not get it. And I know Java is its own little special thing, <laughs> but, and that's when I dropped out because I was like, I can't, I couldn't learn that way. And what sounds really fascinating and really um, amazing about the Ascend project is that you're giving people the space to, to learn how they need to learn. And I think that's so important. Yeah. And one of the things that we do is, is as soon as someone has learned something, they teach it to someone else. And that that's, you know, partly a function of practicality because there are 20 of them and two of us. Um, but, you know, we got to a point where everybody's learning at a different pace. And so we split them into groups of, you know, if you've done this thing over here, then we're going to go do this thing over here. And then the, the people who were ahead, we basically folded them over and says, great, after lunch, you're going to teach everybody else uh, what you just did. And, you know, teaching something 
as soon as you have a grasp on it, it's a great way to sort of solidify that knowledge. Wow. That sounds like so much fun. I, I, it's really I awesome. I could it's, join. <laughs> the students on Friday were, so we have check-in and check-out every day. And so uh, a lot of people were sad because they were, were halfway through and they're like, we're halfway through, it's going too fast. And I don't want it to be over. And there's another um, class that's going to happen in New Orleans next year. And so they were, few people were plotting to, uh, you know, reapply or storm the, the next class. Someone's like, oh, we should, we should rent a bus and <laughs> just all go down. Trek down. So I think that means that, you know, things are going well, they're getting something out of it. And <laughs> That's amazing. I'm so happy. And, yeah, and I'm having a great time. And um, uh, one of the things that we're going to be looking to do when this is over is to help people sort of figure out the next step. And so we're hoping to help people land internships uh, in the tech space. So if there are any tech companies listening to this who, you know, use open source technologies, who would want to do, you know, I think it's $5,500, basically modeled after sort of Google Summer of Code and OPW, um, open source program for women. So um, if you want to mentor uh, an intern for um, three months and help them move along to the next step, um, that'd be awesome. That would be amazing. So, I'd like to talk because because this podcast is kind of about diversity and increasing diversity and because you speak on it. Um, I was hoping that maybe we could talk a little bit about. Um, so I had Ash Dryden on a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. and um, I loved talking to her. She's she's a lot of fun and she has so many things that made me stop and think. But but one thing that I've been thinking about as I've been reading your blog, um, kind of getting ready to talk to you, is kind of this um, moving beyond diversity 101. And the reason that I associate Ash with that is because of UltraConf, mm-hmm. which is kind of the point of um, these three-hour-long um, kind of micro-conferences where it's moving beyond diversity. Mm-hmm. 101. And that's the theme that I've picked up about from your blog, um, especially your more recent posts is, okay, the onus is on you to start learning. Don't come to me, you know, here are some resources, but don't expect me to explain what yeah. is and isn't racist or sexist or or whatever. Yeah, well, and I, you know, again, that's, that's partly practical as well, right? Because I don't have a lot of time, right? <laughs> Even if I wanted, you know, that's not my, that's not my primary uh, job. So, you know, if that were my career, then that would be one thing, but it's not. And people are uh, just extremely entitled. And it's not, not even, they don't even really realize it all the time, like how entitled that is to say to someone, hey, take some of your valuable time and teach me about this thing that, you know, literally hundreds of thousands of books have been written on and like whole corners of the interwebs have information on. And <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I've just kind of gotten to the point where I'm done with that. And uh, so I, I criticized, there was a blog post um, on the Pi PDX blog and Pi is... Um, Portland incubator experiment so it's an incubator for start startups in Portland and they had a post on their blog that was like how to hire for culture fit and as someone who got fired for culture fit that is a giant red flag to me 
um, that basically reads as how to hire people who are just like you, right? Uh, which is often what happens. And it was full of things about, you know, asking people about what, what do you do at the airport to, you know, to fill time. And it's like, what does that have to do with whether you can do a job and whether you can communicate effectively with people and what, you know, and it was full of all these things. And so I was, I was tweeting about it and just basically saying how awful it was. And, um, so someone came to me and was like, you know, I just reread this and I don't, I don't really don't see the problem. And they really didn't. I mean, I talk a lot in my empathy talk about the bubble and how people sort of see the world from their perspective, but some people don't understand that that's not how everybody experiences the world. And so this person was, you know, clearly honestly confused and was like, well, maybe you can write, you know, maybe you can write a blog post and we can post it as a, like a counter argument. I was like, no, (laughs) I'm busy. I have a lot of things to do. You know, I sent them a lot of links, you know, I said, here, I've already written a bunch about this. Other people have already written a bunch about this. Go read. (laughs) And uh, amazingly, uh, I got an email like 24 hours later, like, oh, I just came out of a black hole of like reading all these things and watching all these videos. Like rarely do I do that to people. And they actually come back to me and say, oh, I went and (laughs) read read these things. And now I have a lot to think about. So that was, that was amazing. (laughs) That kind of gives me hope. but, you know, when people in the tech industry, when you're when you're learning, you know, there's a lot of like, you know, RTFM, like read the blank manual. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's expected that before you go and ask a senior developer to help you with a problem that you have done what you can on your own to, you know, get to the point that you can. And, you know, and then if you're truly stuck, you go and ask someone. And so that's basically that's basically what I expect of people is like, go, go and do your own work. And there's, there's a lot you can do. And then if you, you know, really need to talk to someone or you need, you know, support group or whatever, like there are venues for that. Like we have something in Portland called race talks. It happens every Tuesday. You can go to McMinimins and you can have pizza and beer and you can talk to people about, you know, racial issues and how those play out specifically in Portland. And they have a format where they do a presentation and then they break up into groups and, you know, people have a conversation. So, um, so yeah, just to come up on somebody, you know, like in the middle of their work day or on the bus or on the street or whatever, be like, yeah, tell me about racism right. <laughs> you know, or, or in a tweet. Right. Um, which I've had 140 that characters. Yeah. Um, it, you know, that just doesn't really work for me anymore. I'm over 40 and you know, I'm running out of time. And so I'm going to spend it <laughs> doing other things. Well, but what I really love is that you, you still took time to help this person educate themselves, right? You still pointed them in a direction and they went and, um, I think that, like you said, that's encouraging. Um, something that I've come to realize, especially in the last couple of weeks and what you talked about in your in- empathy talk is um, the first step to making things better, you know, whether it's to making tech more diverse is people have to realize they have to come out of their bubble. They have to realize that other people have different experiences and those are valid. Like that's, that's step zero. And then step one is being willing to be educated and stand up and do something about it. And I really, um, I really appreciate that you were willing to say, okay, I'm not going to sit here and educate you, but here's, here's some stuff that you can do. 
Right. I mean, it's not, you know, I'm not saying never, right? Because I do take the time to write these things and I, you know, at some point we'll write more of them, I'm sure. Um, and, and it also depends on context, right? This is something that I, you know, know sort of casually. Um, you know, if it's, if it's strangers on Twitter, that's not always, <laughs> that's not always the tone that I take, you know, it just context matters, relationship matters. Um, and so, yeah, my response to people differs, you know, based on that, um, as it should, like, I, I have zero patience for, you know, people that I don't know at all on Twitter coming at me and saying like, oh yes, explain this thing to me. Um, and so that doesn't always go so well. <laughs> right. Well, and there's so many, so many resources. There's, you know, like the geek feminism wiki, there's even just reading through your blog. Um, there's, uh, this podcast, there's, um, another podcast, uh, polygamer I know of, um, there, there are a lot of places where people can start, you know, they just, they just need to, to start. Well, I have a, so I, I give people, uh, at the end of my empathy talk, I give them the, the diversity follow Friday challenge, which the last couple of times I've given the talk has actually been on a Friday. So that works out well. Um, but I have a list an actual Twitter list. If you go to my Twitter feed and look at my list, I have one called social justice. And those are the people that um, I've followed who are really talking about this stuff a lot of the time. And so, and a lot of them are in tech. And so you could pick even, you know, five of those people. If your Twitter feed is overwhelmingly like white and or male, you could go and find that list uh, and start to, you know, just listen to some other voices. And so I challenge people to do that at the end of the empathy talk, because, you know, the first step to getting out of your bubble is really figuring out, well, what is it like for other people? And uh, it can be extremely eye-opening. Actually, someone just tweeted me this morning <laughs> um, about that, saying, you know, oh, I decided my Twitter feed was too waspy. So I, you know, I just went and found some other people and it was, it was completely eye-opening. It really is. And I, I have made a point to do that more and more over the last few months. Um, and then especially after Ferguson, um, you know, I've been more and more following more and more diverse people, which is also problematic because I'm a Twitter completionist. So, <laughs> oh, so you can't like, you can't leave anything behind. I, no, I'm, it's, it's horrible. I need to let go of that because I keep following these people and they're saying all of these profound profound things that I need to hear because, you know, I'm, I am a straight white woman and there's this entire perspective that I don't have and I really need to have it. And, and then I start and I'm like 800 tweets in two hours and I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? So I need to let go of my completionist mentality and just pick up where I can. Yeah, I've been struggling with that too, and because um, I need to do like a Twitter purge, I'm following a bunch of people that I probably could let go of, and and yeah, just that whole like I can't miss anything. But now that I'm now that I'm working all day, like I I can't do that, so that's helped. <laughs> um, yeah. But um, the other thing though to realize is that you still so. Um, what is the term? Uh, secondary trauma. So secondary trauma is a thing that any therapist knows about. Um, and it's basically the danger of, and you find this with, you know, therapists and social workers um, and people who work with like marginalized or traumatized people is that you listen to those stories 
And if someone is telling you that story, then, then they've probably processed it enough that they've, you know, they've, they've dealt with it in some way. But you as a listener hearing something terrible for the first time are going to re-experience that trauma to some degree. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what causes a lot of burnout um, with therapists and with, you know, um, social workers and, and those kind of professions. That's why the, the burnout is so, so high. And so, you know, as a person, as a straight white person to come in and start learning like, oh, wow, really? So you could just go and be killed by the police for no reason and they'll get away. Like, you know, me like living with that reality is different from you finding out about that for the first time. And so you have to, you know, you have, you still have to take care of yourself. You still have to have support systems in place and you, and, you know, sort of manage that for yourself. And that's, that's something, you know, that's why I have that list. I don't actually follow everybody on the social justice list anymore because as someone who lives a lot of that reality, that's an echo chamber I don't need to be in. <laughs> um, so yes, you know, you need to go and, and educate yourself and learn about it, but you don't need to feel like, oh, things are terrible. And so I have to immerse myself in it 24 seven out of guilt. Like that's not, that's not going to be helpful either. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's what I did with, with Ferguson is I was like, oh my God. And I, I sat there and I eventually instituted a thing where I stopped reading Twitter after eight o'clock because I couldn't sleep. Um, because I was, I was just waiting. I was just waiting for the next, you know, horrible thing to happen there. And so I was like, okay, I, I, I need to step, step back. Um, and everybody has to find that balance. And I, um, I have a, a mentor, one of my early mentors from when I was first got out of school and, um, and when Ferguson happened, I saw him just retweeting so many of the people who were in Ferguson on the ground reporting. Um, and this is a straight white man. Um, and he just was like, he was amplifying so much. And I sent him an email and I said, Hey, I, I've noticed that you're doing this and it's awesome. And I really appreciate it because that's, that's one of the main things as an ally that you can do is to amplify people who don't usually get heard. And so him just, you know, retweeting to the people in his circle, like, this is what's really going down, um, is a huge thing. And that's something you can do, you know, you don't have to immerse yourself 24 seven to do that. That's something you can do like, okay, I'm going to go see what's going on and I'm going to amplify and then I'm going to step back. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because you don't do any anyone any good if you're catatonic because you're overwhelmed. Exactly. Um, you know, and I've been thinking a lot. I don't necessarily want this to be a conversation about Ferguson, but um, I have my goddaughter is um, is black. And if her mom dies, she comes to us, you know, and we're we will raise her. And so we, my husband and I, as we were having this discussion, you know, whether, whether it was a good idea for us to take that on because we don't plan on having children, but, you know, we had this discussion about, okay, well, 
you know, will we have money to take care of her? You know, will she be able to go to therapy? Because if she loses her mom, that's going to be a big deal. You know, we live in a small house. We'd need a bigger house. You know, so we had all of these considerations. And I even went into, you know, okay, her hair, her hair care needs are different than mine. So I'm going to, that's something I'm going to need to learn about. And, and all of this. And then, and then it's not like I wasn't aware that, the experience for black people in the U.S. is different than the experience for white people. But when Mike Brown was shot so soon after we had this conversation about this little girl and whether we would take her, I was like, wait, do I have to do I have to teach her how to interact with the world differently than I do because her skin is darker than mine? And so I was also in this like tailspin of 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 considering like how do I teach her to interact with the police? Is mm-hmm. is it going to have to be different? And then I started, that's when it, so that was part of my trauma was like, oh, you know, there's this, this five-year-old girl and her world is going to be a lot different from mine. Yeah. And, and yes, the answer to the question is yes. And every, every mother of especially a black son, but any black child uh, has probably given them the talk. It probably, if she's five now, it probably would happen, you know, in the next two or three years. Um, and there's there's a video um, on the or the Oregonian is the um, local state state paper, and they have a video on their website about mothers of black sons giving their sons the talk and like what that means. And and the talk is about, here's how you deal with the police. You have to stay calm. You have to not, you know, not raise your voice. And like, you know, I don't have kids, so I can't tell you exactly what the talk is, but it is about like, you know, the police represent a danger to you and not necessarily a protect and serve. And that just is, I don't even have words. Yeah, well, and I was talking to my, uh, to one of my friends about, again, back to the bubble, um, just about sort of, uh, you know, women versus men and safety. Like, she was explaining to one of her friends that, you know, do you understand that, like, almost every woman lives in a constant state of threat assessment? Like, we're just constantly assessing men, usually, for for threat level, like, do I need to be careful? You know, and I'm mm-hmm. like, I, I got lazy and I decided to take the, the train up, you know, I was riding home and I have to go up a hill. And right as I got to the bottom of the hill, the max train came. So I was like, oh, I'm going to hop on the max. And it was, I don't know, it wasn't even that late. It was like eight, eight thirty maybe. But, you know, I get on the max and within two minutes, there's a drunk guy harassing me and saying like, oh, you know, how come you won't talk to me? And this and that. And it's like, you know, these are the things, this is why I ride almost everywhere because then I mostly don't have to encounter that. But, um, I've started running recently. And so now it's fall, it's getting dark. I run in the morning before work. So now I think about like, Oh, am I going to run in the park before sunrise? Or am I going to run, you know, where am I going to run? And like, these are the things that just make me so angry that I think about, but that every woman is thinking about, um, Without even realizing. Without, yeah, it's not even always conscious. It's just sort of this internal thing that you learn as a girl and you carry through and men have no idea. Mm-hmm. Most men. <laughs> well, oh. and it, not all men. Yeah, we've, we've heard. Well, and it's interesting too, like hearing this, this 
this pushback, you know, on Twitter, as I'm following more um, feminists and more people who speak about this and the pushback that they get from guys. Um, well, I've never, I've never done anything like that. Well, good for you. But the truth of the matter is a lot of guys do. And I'm glad you've never done anything like that. However, that doesn't mean that you're, you don't represent a threat, you know, it's just. Well, that comes from the need to, you know, people don't want to feel bad about themselves. And so when they're doing that, they're basically putting their feelings above someone else's safety. Like their need to, to, you know, assure people that like, they're not the one is more important to them than the fact that a woman is telling them that, you know, most of the time I don't feel safe or, you know, maybe it's not that drastic, but still you, you have that internal dialogue going on about assessing threat and, and that's what that's about. And, you know, it's just, it's a lack of empathy, which is why I wrote a talk about it. And the last time I gave the talk, I sort of did an analogy about Russian roulette, right? Because in Russian roulette, you, you have six chambers and a gun, but only one has the bullet. And I said, well, you know, I don't want you to judge those other chambers by the one that has the bullet in it, but I'll just keep pulling the trigger. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. and like, it's not, you know, in this, in the scheme of talking about, you know, systematic problems, it doesn't matter if you're not the problem per se. It, if, you know, it, it matters that you're aware of the problem, that you recognize the problem, that you listen to people when they're trying to tell you what their experiences is, that you're not um, invalidating that by trying to, you know, comfort yourself. Right. Um, you know, those are the things that, that you need to do as a, if you want to, if you want to behave as an ally, ally isn't like a state, right? It's a, it's a behavior. It's like, are, are you being an ally to me right now with your behavior? Well, and one of the biggest things I've learned is that one of the best ways I can be a better ally is to just shut up, like just just stop talking, just listen. And that's that's where, again, Twitter is so amazing because I can follow all of these people and not say a word and just just learn and I think it's such a valuable lesson. Like just, just stop talking, just listen. Yeah, that's huge. And, um, I saw that, uh, I can't remember his name, but the guy who invented Python, oh man, I'm going to get so much crap for that. <laughs> anyway, but he, um, he did a keynote at a Python conference and only took questions from women. And, you know, one guy in the audience yelled, boo. <laughs> Um, and everybody else just kind of went with it. And then they had a great, a great Q&A discussion um, with only women asking the questions and asking really good questions. And he said he did that because, you know, um, I haven't seen a lot of women asking questions. I think the men have had, you know, plenty of opportunities. So I'm just going to like tip the scales for a minute. <laughs> um, and that's great. And so, yeah, shutting up can be huge. Like, and very difficult for some people. Right. Um, and, you know, I, I, I experienced that side of it too. I mean, I, I definitely have friends who are marginalized in different ways that I don't experience or may never experience. And so, 
if I don't if I don't have anything to add to that, if I, you know, then I just just listen. Yeah. So what do you think about I, I think it's great, like inviting more women to speak up um, women's hiring initiatives or racial minorities or, you know, whatever that that group might be. Um, but I hear a lot of people talking about how that's um, it's like reverse discrimination. Like you're you're only accepting questions from women. You're only hiring women. And that's not fair. Um, yeah. So I saw a great tweet and um, I should have been keeping track. But if you have if you listen through this and have um, there's a lot of links I can give you for show notes. Sure. Um, to reference this. So awesome. I saw this great tweet that was like, oh, look, second grader can get this concept, but some adults not so much. And it was uh, fair versus equal, right? So, and it was three kids standing uh, on boxes to look over a fence. And the three kids were all different heights. And so giving them one box each meant that the third kid couldn't see anything because third kid was really short. So then they redistribute the boxes so that one kid has no box because they're tall enough to see one kid has one and the shortest kid has two boxes. And they're like, this is fair. Like one is equal, <laughs> right? but the other is fair and everybody gets to see over the fence. So like, that's a basic concept that a lot of people don't understand, you know? And so people who talk about uh, reverse sexism, reverse racism. It's like, do you understand the history of this country and that it is built on white supremacy and that it continues to be built on white supremacy and male supremacy? And like, in order, you know, if we were going to say like, okay, we're going to reverse things until, you know, for the next, what, I don't know, four or 500 years until things are equal. Like, that's not what anybody's asking, but right. in order to try to offset that yes some men are going to have to shut up and some people in power are going to have to give up some power and some you know some regulars on the conference circuit are going to have to say hey you know um I've done this why don't you you know why don't you talk to you know so-and-so who's a woman or who you know who also is an expert in this area and would would give a great talk like yes some people are going to have to give up their power and their access and um, you know, some of it and some people are really uncomfortable with that. Yeah. So it's, um, I love that you talked about that because, it, uh, the person who tweeted that was actually my friend, Steve Lubitz. Um, yeah. and yeah, and it was in his daughter's, uh, I think second grade classroom <laughs> and, <laughs> and, um, he got so much pushback from that. He was called a communist. <laughs> Um, I mean, I mean, for days, for days, and he might still be getting comments now. I don't know, but he, he got a lot of pushback for that. And I, I just, I was like, really, really, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Cause it's so, it's visual, right? It's right. like, you can't, how can you argue with it? And, and the thing is like, the people that I refuse to engage with are probably the same people who are giving him grief. Yeah. It's like, if you can't just acknowledge even this one simple concept, then you're not somebody that I'm going to spend time on Associate right now. With. Yeah. Well, and, and too, I think it's really interesting that the communist was a refrain he heard a lot because I'm like, is that really, is that really your, 
argument for why you disagree with it. Like, can you give me a logical reason why you disagree with this? Calling me a communist is not convincing me that this might be wrong, you know? I, right. I just Like, what's so bad about that? Right. Well, because capitalism works, is working out so well, right? Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's why we're in the mess we're in right now. Yeah, I don't know. I love that you brought that example up, though. My my worlds collide. Yay, good. So you can find that, that tweet and put it in the show notes. I absolutely can. I think I retweeted it. One of one of many. So, um, is there anything you you want to talk about that we haven't addressed yet? We're not quite at an hour, but I think we've hit on a lot of it. Um, I mean, it's funny. I feel like. I, I do these interviews where I give talks and I can hear myself saying the same stories over and over again. But of course, a lot of people haven't heard them and don't know anything about me. So, um, oh, uh, well, I don't know. I think I'm going, I'm, I think I'm up on the, um, Ada initiative page today. Um, oh. doing their fundraiser. Yep. So I don't know when this is coming out, but, um, tomorrow. Uh, oh, okay. Um, so yeah, I'm up on the, um, adainitiative.org slash donate. Um, they approached me, they're doing their yearly, like big push for donations. And so they have, um, people in the tech community and people who've, uh, been involved with Ada initiative in any way. Um, and so they came and asked me like, can we put your face on the website? I was like, sure. If you think it'll help. Um, so that went up. Uh, I think yesterday and we'll be up for, I don't know, a week or two maybe. So do you mind giving a quick blurb about what the ADA initiative is? Um, sure. So um, ADA initiative um, basically works to support women in technology and, um, and I'm not remotely qualified to like give you their mission statement. That's the general gist, you can go to aidinitiative.org. Um, my experience with them is actually pretty recent, my direct experience. Um, they held uh, Ada Camp in Portland this year, and so you have to apply to even attend Ada Camp as a participant, uh, which I love because they basically sort of ask, what's your interest and what are you hoping to get out of it? And um, what that means is that it's kind of a safe space by design. Like, you don't have to worry about... Um, really like bad actors uh, getting into the space. And so it was one of the best conferences that I've been to. And I wish I had had more energy. It was right around the time that I moved. And so I was extremely low energy and probably not even fit to be talking to people in public. Um, but the amazing thing is that I could go there and be as tired as I was. And I like functionally, I was an introvert. I'm a, I'm a pretty extroverted person by nature, um, but I was functionally an introvert that whole weekend because of my energy level and like that was fine like everybody just sort of met me where I was at I was still able to participate and have a great time and you know it sort of starts you know at like you know feminism 102 right we can skip all the the 101 like what about reverse race you know reverse sexism because that's we're all beyond that so then you can have really awesome interesting discussions about a lot of things and so that was my first really direct experience with them. And um, I know that they've been really instrumental in getting more conferences to um, initiate codes of conduct. Um, so that's, you know, the fact that that's sort of a thing now, I think is, is due to a lot of the work they've done where people 
you know, when you ask someone to speak at your conference, they might say, well, do you have a code of conduct? <laughs> um, and so people are, you know, just like Google now has uh, put out their their diversity data, which is terrible, as which yeah. we knew. But, you know, the fact that they put it out, like the fact that these things are becoming a normal part of the conversation and we're starting to talk about them um, is progress. And so... Um, and so they're behind a lot of that. And I think that uh, they're actually working with Google um, doing some work about unconscious bias training and they just do a lot of amazing things. And so they need money to do those things. So um, when they came to me and asked me to help, I said, yes. It's amazing. I haven't, it's on my list of things to do to, to research more about the ADA, ADA. Why can I not say it? The ADA initiative. Um, and because I hear about them all the time, um, and I really want to learn more and start, you know, seeing how I can help them. And I like that, you know, donation is a good, is a good place to start, I think. So. Yeah. And they do, um, they also do alley skills workshops. So, um, if you, like, if you didn't get into an ADA camp, um, you can also apply to go to the alley skills workshop. They also give that workshop at companies. Um, one thing I didn't actually talk about explicitly <clears throat> is, um, the fact that, you know, all this talk about, um, companies being more diverse and trying to hire more diversity and, you know, the pipeline, right? Everybody has the pipeline. Um, and, you know, my friends and I like to joke that the, the pipeline leads to a sewage plant because <laughs> companies that are starting to wake up and realize like, oh, oh, okay, diversity is a thing. We better get on that. Well, those places are terrible to work. Yep. <laughs> and so if you hire like one woman or one person of color or whatever, and that person has a terrible experience and quits or just, you know, you know, their soul gets eaten because they can't afford to quit, but they put up with all this BS every day. Like, and so you really, it's like a, it's like a fish tank, right? If you put fish in a poison fish tank, they're going to die. So, um, a lot of the, a lot of the first step for companies who are like, how can we get diversity is to start doing some of this work, start doing some of the 101, like learning about, you know, what a microaggression is, learning about unconscious bias and, really making your workplace something that is going to be welcoming. Like not that you're going to, you're like, Oh, we're going to go out and get, you know, our diversity and then try to mold them into your, your culture, your, you know, your workplace. Like the point of diversity is that people are different, that people have different values and different experiences and that you welcome all of that. Not that, Oh, we're going to get a black person. And then, you know, we're just going to like mold them in. Right. So and we're going to meet our numbers. Right. <laughs> um, nobody wants that. And the thing is, you know, if you, if you really start to do that, um, it will get around because there, are, you know, when I talk to women about who are looking for jobs, there's so much back channel about, Oh, well, how is this company to work for? And how's that company to work for? And if it's terrible, everybody's going to know and tell everybody else. And if it's great, everybody's going to know that too and tell everybody else. So that's, you know, cleaning up your own act is, is the step zero as you um, so aptly referred to it to increasing diversity at your company. And the younger your company is, the more, the easier it is to do that. Because once you've, once you've hired all your friends and you've got that employee page, it's all straight white dudes. You know, <laughs> I, I've had a couple people 
you know, email me with recruiter type things like, oh, we'd really love to have you. And I'm like, nope. Like even the people that I like, I had um, someone who was a teacher of mine uh, when I was in school, someone whose work I respect, someone I think is an awesome person reach out to me. And I was like, nope. Cause even if you're, even if you're awesome and nice and I like you, if it's me and a bunch of white dudes, that means I'm gonna have to deal with the unconscious, you know, microaggressions and the assumptions and the, and I just, you know, after two years of sitting at home, you know, working with my cats, right. <laughs> I just, I don't can't have the tolerance. Back. Yeah. I don't have the tolerance at all. So, um, and I have a cat in my lap right now. So <laughs> it's really, unless you can compete with that. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the first step. So if you're, if you're hiring and I don't know of any companies who are not always hiring, um, and you're, and you want your workplace to look, you know, to be more diverse, that's, that's my advice. Yeah. And that's actually something with my current employer. Um, I was so excited when the job opened up and then I actually got the job because I was, I'm reading and I'm like, Ooh, there's a woman developer. Like there's one woman developer. This is amazing. I want to work here. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, I don't know. We, we have such a long way to go, but I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that, people who are starting companies now are going to be open to this conversation. Um, And that might be misplaced optimism as like a a survival mechanism. And it probably is because otherwise I'm just going to cry. Yeah, no, I think we need some of that. (laughs) But, um, but I really think that, um, you know, we get one company and then two company and three companies who, who recognize this need and then hopefully we start seeing it more and more. And I don't, you know, something that Ash and I talked about was she was like, I'm never going to see the complete fruits of my labor until you, like ever. I'm going to die before right. I can see this. But I'm hoping that we're going to start seeing some meaningful changes more and more. And I think we are. I just don't think it's quick. You know, the other thing is that, you know, we're not going to we're not all sitting around like begging to be hired by these white guys. Like I'm just going to go out and make my own company and other people are, and I, I wish I could find it, but I read an article about why more black women are, and this was not just about tech, more black women are just, you know, leaving companies and starting their own businesses for the same reason that I did, because they don't want to, you know, deal with all the overhead because it's really like having two jobs. And so you know, more people are going to be doing that, more marginalized people are going to be doing that and starting their own companies. And, you know, I, right now I can't, I can't even imagine like trying to hire people and like have that whole thing. I'm just like, let me just do this as a one person thing right now. Um, but a lot of people like that's their goal. They want to, they want to start a company. They want to hire people. They want to have their own agencies. And some of those people are going to be marginalized people who, yes, are going to, are going to have that value from the get go. And that's going to, that's going to affect the company. So it's not just, you know, (laughs) uh, it's not just like, oh, please hire us. It's like, you know, we're doing this Ascend project. We're going to give people these skills. And I'm, I'm constantly telling people, um, and by the way, you don't need them. You can, you can use your skills to help people directly and you can do it on your own. So that's kind of one of the things that I champion. Cause I don't, I don't hear that a lot. I don't hear people talking about that a whole lot. Um, and so I try to, 
we try to just remind people and not everybody is suited for that and that's that's fine but I actually wrote a talk called uh stop crying in the bathroom and stop, start your own business. And I gave it at open source bridge this year and it was pretty well received. Oh, that's all. Is there, do you know if there's video of that? Video that exists. I don't know when I'm going to get a hold of it. Oh, okay. Cause I'd I'm love to see it. that. I know I'm, I'm going to work on it. <laughs> well, and starting a business is scary. And this is even from, you know, like my husband started his own business last December and then, you know, quit his job and whatever. And, and it is so amazingly terrifying. <laughs> It's just, it is. It's just terrifying. What you realize, though, is that the people who are running these big companies, they didn't know what they were doing either. Right. <laughs> yeah. They, you know, it's like you can just start and you can learn as you go. And like, that's that's kind of what I'm trying to get out to more people. And I got this, you know, we had someone when I was in school, I took a class about freelancing and we had a former student come back and she had a business um involving clothing because uh, I went to the art institute so there was design of all kinds so you know she she talked really openly about the fact that she started her business right out of school she had no idea what she was doing and she figured it out as she went along and I was like well she's doing pretty well for herself so you know it must not be that impossible <laughs> well and teen- teenagers do it right you hear about yeah you know, 14 year old kids shop on twitter that mm-hmm. she's like I don't know, 14 now or whatever, but she's had her own business since she was like seven or eight and she's, she's killing it. So yeah, yeah, it's like, it's as simple as give people value and they will give you dollars. Like when you really want to break it down, you know? Well, and I think this is another way that we're fighting against society too, is, you know, we're, or at least I was raised to, okay, you're going to go, you're going to get your high school diploma, then you're going to go to college, and then you're going to work for somebody. And I, growing up, I never heard the story that, oh, you can go work for yourself. You know, my, my grandfather did, but he was a farmer and that's not exactly lucrative, you know, and everybody else works for someone else. And I think that we need to start changing that conversation like like you're doing, because I think there's a lot of value in a lot of small independent businesses. Yep. Yep. It's sort of like the pendulum is starting to swing the other way, um, you know, and so I think that we've gotten to the point where it's like corporations are people and like, no, they're not. People are people. And so people are going to start to try to take more control over their lives. And that's one of the ways that you can do it. Karanda, thank you for coming today. Oh, you're welcome. It was great. I had a great time. I'd like, um, I'd like to have you back some, sometime in the not too distant future. And maybe, um, maybe we can brainstorm beforehand about like the questions that you're never asked that you wish you were. And then just have this conversation where it's just things that you want to say that you, you don't, you don't have the opportunity or you aren't given the opportunity to talk about. I think that'd be really interesting. All right. I'll think on that. Since I have a blog, there's not much that I think of that I don't. That's true. But we'll see. I'm going to, I'm going to get through this last three weeks. uh, And then like, like as much fun as I'm having, I'm also like super stressed about all the things that are falling by the wayside because how do people deal with their lives and work 40 hours a week? I don't even understand. Yeah. It's, Um, it's hard. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, so I'm going to spend the rest of the day working on client stuff. Um, but I'll, I'll keep that in mind and I'll let you know if I, if uh, things, anything comes up. Okay. 
Um, so Karanda, how do people find you on the internet? Um, so you can find me at Karanda on Twitter. Um, Karanda.com is my blog, my personal blog. Um, my business is Carvel Digital. It's K-A-R-V-E-L digital.com. And I also have a business Twitter at Carvel Digital. Um, and you can type only my first name into Google. <laughs> Pretty much learn whatever you want to know about me that's public. Um, so yeah, not, not hard to find. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. <laughs> You're welcome. Thanks for asking me. Yeah. Enjoy your client work. All right. <laughs> Take care. All right. You can find the show on Twitter at less than or equal. If you have feedback, suggestions for guests, or would like to be a guest, please go to less than or equal.com and fill out the contact form. If you have a few minutes, it'd be great if you'd leave a review on iTunes. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time on an internet near you. I'm Aline Sims for Less Than or Equal.